floor series and so this is kind of give you a sense of what that is and what the seventh floor is once again so the seventh floor I won't tell the entire story but our lead pastor Eric Parks when he took the helm of this church he was traveling back and forth from Denver got an apartment um, at the Talcott building and on the seventh floor which is the 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 building you see pictured in the graphic there and so there were other people from our church on the seventh floor and basically like what he experienced on the seventh floor with those folks was something that was very special. It was something that that uh, when it comes to um, man, when we come to church, you don't experience it that often. It doesn't it doesn't occur, and it's very unique. And so, so he said, man, if I'm going to be a part of building a church, I want to be a part of building a church where, where this is the space where where like like uh, stories like what, what Rome experienced would happen all the time and and the reality is that doesn't happen by accident so it's like how do we begin to be intentional about creating these spaces not just in Rockford but 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 everywhere and for all time and that's what the seventh floor is and we want to be intentional about creating these environments and creating this type of atmosphere when people come into our church and experience our people so uh, our lead pastor, Eric Parks, he kicked it off. He was, he was on the stage and he had a table and he talked about the fact that, that it's important to have Jesus at the center of your table and of your life. So I just realized that, man, I've, I've had a period of my life where, where I was the center of my own life and my sin and my selfishness, my self-centeredness was, was my top priority. And what I experienced was I messed my life up. So then what I said is, man, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to surrender to his will and to his way because I believe that my life in his hands is better than my life in my own hands. And I surrendered to him and I said yes. And, and all of us, by surrendering and by saying yes to the Lord, what we're saying is, man, we believe that his way is good. That the way that he leads us, that, that he is working things out for our benefit and for our flourishing. And so if this is ever, if we have the chance of, of these environments being created, then we have to have Jesus at the center of our lives and, and at the center of our table. And when he's at the center of our table, it's a place where anyone and everyone will belong. And so then we, we begin to dig in and we said, man, what, what makes these environments unique? Like, let's, let's get intentional. Let's, let's identify what are these things that make these spaces special. And so we began to talk about uh, radical hospitality. The next week I had a chance to, to share about that. And it's this idea that hospitality is our generous reception of people that we don't know. And when we do that, it is a fundamental expression of the gospel. Our hospitality, it sets the table for there to be a safe place where we seek to understand before being understood and we share our lives. So hospitality is important in creating these, these environments. And then Bria did an amazing job. She, she talked about grace and acceptance. I just realized and I have an understanding that, that I am messed up. That even now that, that sometimes that there's, there's some things about me that's not in, in, in line with, with God. And so I understand that the only reason that I'm saved and the only reason that I have a relationship with God is because of Jesus. That he came and he rescued me from the pit and he transformed me and he molded me and he shaped me into who I am. 
And then I stand up here today, the only thing I can boast about, it's not my goodness, so it's not my effort, it's not me pulling myself up by my bootstraps. The only thing that I can boast about is in Jesus. So that, so yeah, so that when I, when I encounter someone else because of the grace that I know that I've experienced from God because I am entitled to nothing from God because of my sin. Because I've experienced that level of grace that when I encounter someone else, then man, I am, I am compelled to extend that same level of grace to them. And when I do that, I'm actually practicing acceptance. I heard our lead pastor, Eric Parks, he said this. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Uh, Christians, therefore, should not work hard, strive, and toil, but we do so not for grace, but from grace. Because of the gospel, we are motivated not by guilt, but by gratitude, grace, and acceptance. And then today, another thing that, that we feel is really important in the spaces that we want to be intentional about creating is this idea of beautiful diversity. And that's what I'll have a chance to share about with you guys um, this morning. Will you, will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for this day. I'm just grateful for everyone in the room. And Lord, we believe that you are present in this place. We believe, Lord, that you have something that you want to impart into your people. So Lord, may we be good soil and ready to receive, Lord, what it is that you want to say to us today. So as for me, Lord, I just pray that I would decrease, Lord, that you would increase inside of me, Lord, so that you would speak to your people. We thank you, God. Our hearts are expectant today. We pray all these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was diving into this, this idea of beautiful diversity, really trying to dive in, I, I, um, I got hung up on this word beauty, right? Um, and so, um, and I think about like the things that, that, that I think are beautiful. And the first thing that came to my mind was, was this song, uh, you may or may not know it, it's from a group called Drew Hill. Uh, the song is called Beauty, right? Um, if I, I, listen, if I, walks by me every day, <clears throat> Her and love are the same. What is it? The woman has stolen my heart. And beauty is her name. <laughs> Make a joyful noise. All right. Uh. Sorry. But yeah, so I think about that song, right? I, like that's the first thing that I thought about. And, and yes, that, that is R&B. And, and it's okay for me to listen to R&B because I am married. And, and if you're married in the room, I hope you listen to a little R&B as well. It is, it is a good thing. Um, and even speaking of marriage, uh, I, I, when I think about beauty, I think about my lovely wife. You're so beautiful, sweetheart. Um, and yes, I'm, yeah, listen, every chance I get, I'm going to esteem my wife, right? And so I, I encourage you to esteem yours as well. This is a great opportunity to whisper sweet nothings in her ear about how beautiful um, that she is. I'm just trying to help you out. That's for free, uh, but I'm going to do it every time. So you're, you're beautiful. Uh, but no, seriously, though, what, when you think about beauty, sometimes when we drive in uh, to Elgin on Sundays when we come here, um, it's right at the sunrise. And so we see the sunrise and the clouds, and it's so, it's so beautiful. And sometimes I think about that. That as beauty. Sometimes uh, you may be uh, may drawn to art um, and sculptures and paintings, and you may look at things and, and you may say that is beautiful. And all those things are beautiful, but when I think about this in terms of diversity, like if I think about it just like that, then I'm led to 
think that, man, diversity is just what I see when, when people of different pigmentations coming together and just how that is visually appealing. And I say, well, that's true, but, but there has to be something deeper. There has to be a deeper reason for which uh, diversity is beautiful. And so I dug deeper uh, into this word beauty, and I, I didn't have to go far. I didn't have to go to the Greek or the Hebrew. I just went to Webster, and Webster provided me great insight. Um, so here's what Webster says about beauty. Webster says it is the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or a thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exhausts the mind or spirit. That's the thing that got me. Like I was like, ah, that's it, right? The, the, uh, um, the pleasurably exhausts the mind or the spirit. Because here, here's the reality. Here's what I believe. I believe that, that when we are in spaces that don't have diversity, um, I believe that there's aspects of, of sin that causes division and fragmentation. And I think when we experience these spaces with division and, and fragmentation, I, I believe that our hearts are hurt because of that. I believe that when we're in these spaces and experience these things that that we lament that this is the reality of what we're experiencing. And so when we see diversity, right, when we see uh, different people coming together, what we say is like, oh, man, that is good because you know what, man, that is what I was made for. That is what we were all made for. And my life is better because of this experience. And so it exalts our spirit. We, we may have been down low because of the brokenness and fragmentation of the world. But when we experience diversity, it's like, oh, man, this is beautiful because my mind and my spirit is exalted because this is the way it was supposed to be. And so that's why I believe that beauty is, I'm sorry, diversity is beautiful. We're lifted up and exalted to what we were made to experience in the first place. Another thing I think about when I think about beautiful diversity, it led me to uh, one of my favorite movies. Hopefully it's one of your favorites. It's called Remember the Titans. Um, anyone see Remember the Titans? I see, I see one clapping right there immediately. Yep, I see hands. Yeah, so Remember the Titans. Um, so I wrote this and I thought about this movie and I had to, uh, I watched it last night, full disclosure. I watched it last night just to brush up on it. Um, the wife was asleep. And so I meant, to, I meant to only watch a portion, but I kept watching, and I kind of had to figure out how to channel my excitement with her sleeping. Because if you take me to the movies, I'm going to hit you, um, and I'm going to laugh, and I'm going to smack my knee. And so I'm experiencing these things, and I'm trying to hold in my laughter, and then there's that part where Bertier and Julius is like, strong side, left side, on the bed, like, Ugh! and I'm like, oh, don't wake up, but I'm trying, I'm really excited. So that's what was going on in our bedroom last night. I'm watching Remember the Titans, but, but listen. In this movie, it's so fascinating, number one, because this is a true story, right? Uh, and then it's, a, it's about the city of Alexandria, Virginia, um, and there's nothing, that's, um, there's nothing that is mixed in the city as it, uh, when it comes to race, right? It is a divided city when it comes to race. And what they're doing is they're bringing uh, and integrating one school, this one particular school uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. So because of that, that also means this football team is also going to be integrated. So you have Coach Boone and you have uh, Coach Yost that are trying to uh, make it happen with this football team. And, and at, the, at the onset, man, it is really ugly. Right, you have football teams, you got one race of kids sitting on one bus, so you have the other race of kids sitting on the other bus, and they don't mix together uh, well at all. It's like everybody has a chip on their shoulder. But the first thing that they do right off the bat um, is they go to camp. They go to Gettysburg and they go to camp 
Uh, and this is one of the pivotal moments here that happened at camp. So you have Gary and you have Julius. And one of the things that Coach Boone made them do is he made them get to know one another. He made them ask questions and figure out each other's story. And they began to get to know each other. They began to see the commonalities and the things that they have in common. They began to see, they're like, oh, man, like you may be different, but, but you're not so bad. And, and here in this particular scene, you have, you have Julius and you have Gary, and they're just, they're just landing all out there. Like, hey, man, here's the deal. Here's where I am, the way that I am. But if, if, but if I'm going to follow you, I need you to step up to the plate as well. So it's after this scene to where they, as leaders of the team, began to pave the way and be an example for the rest of the team. And camp began, uh, some great things began to happen. The, the team began to come together. And by the end of camp, man, they were a unified group of people. And it was beautiful. But when they came home, though, when they came home, they realized, like, oh, man, everyone didn't experience, had the same experience at camp that we had. And so one moment that was, that was telling for me is uh, they came off the bus and, and Gary was excited to introduce Julius to his girlfriend named Emma. So, so Gary said, Emma, this is Julius. And Julius, he reached out his hand and Emma, Emma did not reciprocate. She just left him hanging and then she, she walked away. And so this level of tension is, is what the whole town was experiencing in Alexandria at the time. And, it, and it's heartbreaking. But what you see, you see that this team that was together, this team that was unified, man, they began to play some good football. And this, this town began uh, to get excited about this team and the fact that they were winning. And the, the, the football team began to break down walls that existed in the town. And it was beautiful. One, one particular scene, uh, they were at the championship game, the state championship game. And, and Bertier was in the, Gary was in the hospital, if you know the story. And Emma uh, approached the, the sideline during, uh, at the start of the championship game. And they were beginning to take her away, but like Julius was like, no, she was coming to Julius. And, and Emma was like, hey, my name is Emma. And Julius had the opportunity to say like, oh, I'm Julius. It's good to meet you. So you see like, like even Emma had this transformation, these, these walls that were once up, like she, she's now, those are beginning to come down. And now because of this football team and what began to happen, people are beginning to see the fact that, that the differences aren't what's important, that there's something that they have in common. And they may be missing out by not saying hi and embracing the other, the other group of people. And that was really beautiful. And so what we have is, what we have in this uh, uh, diversity, uh, and we see it in the room of the Titans, we see it also um, in scripture, and I'm drawn to, to Acts chapter 1. Jesus has, been, uh, Jesus has been resurrected from the grave, and he's spending time with his disciples. And I'm drawn to this where it says this in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It says, and while staying with them, that's Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And we'll come back to that a little later. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or re- seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the disciples, Jesus was, was resurrected. They were excited to go tell the world about him. And Jesus said, no, nah, pump your brakes. You, you need some help. You need some help. You, you, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to lead you. It's going to comfort you. 
And it's going to empower you to be my witnesses to all the world. So real quick, I just want to put this in the context because um, he gives greater context when we go back to John 16, verse 7. Here's what, what, what Jesus says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He sent this to his disciples. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so this is, blows me away for, for Jesus to say, like, listen, it's better for you if I go. Because then you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just blown away because Jesus, man, when, when Jesus was on the scene, like Jesus would draw thousands of people so they could, they could hear what he was going to say and see what he was going to do. You read encounters like, like Jesus feeding 5,000 men, which also meant there was more because there's also, there's also women and children, right? And the reason that they were there is because they followed Jesus to a place where they had no food. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he fed them. And this happened not once in Scripture. This happened twice. And how many more times do we know that thousands of people were following Jesus? But this is how captivating Jesus was. This is how significant Jesus was. And now you're sitting here telling me that there's something more significant than you that's coming? Man, it just helps me. It helps me and leads me to believe, man, that, that whenever this thing is, if, if Jesus, if you're placing this much value on it, man, when it comes... It's going to be monumental. So you have the disciples, they, they did what Jesus said. They, they stayed together uh, for 10 days, and, and they were in a house together. And it wasn't just the 12. It was the scholars say it was about 120 disciples that were there, and they were waiting. And to kind of set the scene, that there's a festival that was going on in Jerusalem at the time. It's, it's Pentecost. It's, it's this festival that's, a, that, that's attached to the, 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 the harvest of, of grain. Um, and so there's, there would have been people from all over that would have come to Jerusalem during this time. They would have taken pilgrimage uh, for, for miles around to come to be a part of the Pentecost. And so you would have had a convergence of different nations and, and different people that would have descended uh, onto Jerusalem. And so that's kind of what's going on. I'm about to pick up in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Um, uh, it won't show up on the screen till verse, verse 3, so just six type, but I'm going to start in verse 1. Verse 1 says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it, it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And, this sound, uh, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that, that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and, and Medes and uh, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? 
but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. So what you have here, the disciples are in a, a room and it says there came a sound like rushing wind, which I could dive deep into breath and sound and all that. But there came a sound like rushing wind and, and then fire came like tongues of fire and it descended upon each one of them. And so we see in the Old Testament that the fire represents the presence of God. And so what you have here is you have the presence of God now being embodied in each individual. So before, like the reason people would descend into Jerusalem would be because the presence of God resided in the temple. Like that's where God dwelled. And if you wasn't right when you went in the temple making a sacrifice, they had a rope tied around you. They might have to drag you out because you wouldn't make it. That is the significance of the presence of God. And now what you have is the presence of God now resides in each one of them and even us today. That is amazingly significant. And then so what happened was when, the, when the, they heard the sound of the wind, now everyone would have heard that. Now they're coming to see, man, what, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? So they came to see what it was. And so you have and you see the first act of the Holy Spirit once he indwelt his people. The Holy Spirit, that the first thing that he did, right, after the people were embodied with him, it was an act of hospitality was because he, he allowed every nation to hear them declare the mighty works of God in their own native language, right? Isn't that amazing that, that the first thing that's tied to this event is an act of hospitality so everybody could be included. And so what we have here, uh, and then after that, you have Peter, who, who now has a different step. He, he has a different swag now because how he's a, a, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he gives this amazing sermon, and and it says that thousands of people would be saved and receive the Holy Spirit. It was the first ever evangelistic event focused on the outsider and those who didn't belong. It would be forever recorded that, that witnesses from, from all nations and tongues would be present for one of the most important fulcrum events in the New Testament and really all of human history happened and it was tied to everybody being present from all nations. So now we have a new kingdom. We have a new kingdom now. This, this new kingdom isn't necessarily centered around a particular place because the, the spirit only dwelt inside the temple. Now the, the spirit uh, resides in each individual. So now the kingdom of God isn't where the temple is. It's wherever God's people are. It's a new kind of kingdom. And in this new kingdom, yeah. And in this new kingdom, it's not about one race of individuals. It's not about one group of people. Because now the kingdom, because of everybody that was present, because everybody that was saved in that moment, they all had the Holy Spirit. And so now the kingdom isn't just for one group of people. It is for all groups of people. It's the gospel that has the power to bring people with so many differences together. And they have so many differences but yet, here's what the Bible says. It says, yet they had the same thing in common. They had all things in common. And that is the power of the gospel. And that is beautiful. There's a, there's a quote um, by Dr. Brian Loritz. Here's what he says. He says, the multi-ethnic church is the most profound apologetics uh, for the veracity of the gospel. 
this multi-ethnic church. And so when it comes to who we are as a church, the Big C Church, the church is multi-ethnic. And it's not a matter of style. It's not a matter of, of preference. It's theology. Like we, we see it in scripture. So then that bears, uh, that has implications for us as a church as well. Us as a church, Four City Church, we are meant to be and created to be a multi-ethnic church. Because in it, we get a chance to experience beautiful diversity. And so listen, I, I need some help. And so we want to continue to illustrate this picture for you about beautiful diversity. And so I'm going to bring up some friends of mine, uh, Carrington Gaines, Bria Timley. Could you guys give it up for them as they come? Give it up, give it up, give it up. They're going to help me out um, as we get our stools here. So real quick, uh, you, guys, you guys know who Bria is. She's our amazing uh, campus pastor. And before he even has the chance to be all, all super humble, um, this is a trailblazer. This is a bricklayer. Um, this, this man right here is a big part of our church and, and him doing worship and what he is, worship being the tip of the spear of our church. But real quick, I just want to hear you guys' story a little bit. Talk about um, what brought you to Illinois and what brought, to, uh, what brought you to this church and a little bit of where you're from and all that kind of stuff. Um, well... I'm from Buffalo, New York, mm -hmm. but I was in Atlanta, Georgia mm -hmm. before I came to Rockford, mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. I came to Illinois. Um, I was there and I was working with a ministry, great ministry, um, but they were not traditional, but it was predominantly African-American. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, it's great. I love that. It's so much beauty in it. Um, but it was like, yeah, I know I'm called to like do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Like I've always said, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm made to build bridges between denominations and cultures. That's mm -hmm. what like my whole mission is in life um, or in my own personal ministry. Mm -hmm. So I would like go and then I went to another church and I was like, oh man, they were predominantly white. Mm -hmm. And me being who I am, I kind of felt like, oh, well, I don't know if this works too much for me either. It was mm -hmm. just like, I couldn't really find my footing. Um, so it was like, okay, God, I know something is going on. Me and my wife, we, we had started praying. We tried to figure out, like, hey, what's next for us because we want to move forward in what we know God called us to. Um, so back in 2019, Parker had, Parks, our lead pastor, I call him Parker, um, he had called and was like, hey, why don't you come out to Denver and, like, check it out. And my wife, she didn't even come with me on the trip. She said, I'm not going to Denver because <laughs> I'm not going to Denver. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, I went. I said, nah, this, this, ain't, this probably ain't going to be it either. So we went back to Atlanta, and then next thing you know, he said, hey, I'm, I'm taking over. I'm doing this church in Rockford, and I really want to do something different. And he was like, okay. I was like, okay, I, I kind of I heard that. We've all heard it before. It's like, yeah, a different way to do church. We've heard all of this stuff. But it was like, no, I'm going to commit to actually being different. And whatever we have to do, how many fires we start, how many fires we have to put out, this is just going to be what it is. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we're going to get to this space. And it was like a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, intergenerational like type of space. And like the more he talked about it, and the more we prayed, it was just kind of like, yeah, this is where we're supposed to be. Um, we're supposed to be a part of this thing. We're supposed to be a part of helping to build this church. Mm -hmm. So we moved from Hotlanta to Cole Rockford. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can empathize with that journey as well. Um, so, Bria, what about, what about you? Yeah, so my husband, Stephen, who's on staff as well, we were living in Holland, Michigan, and I was pastoring at um, a church in the area. It was a, 
a larger church um, who was really looking to grow in areas like diversity. And that was just something that was just really important to my heart as well. Just looking at the gospel and on the life of Jesus and just the reconciliation that the kingdom brings uh, just was something that we really wanted to be a part of. It was really exciting for um, a season. There were many people kind of moving from different places um, in the country, from different backgrounds and walks of life. Um, but unfortunately, as, as we grew and as we sort of tried to hone in on things like branding or growth, um, the diversity that we had promoted that we wanted to have wasn't what people were experiencing behind the scenes. And we just saw the damage that was created when people were brought in because of what they represented, um, but weren't really able to live authentically and have a voice and a voice of value um, in that same space. And, you, you know, you have to talk a certain way or look a certain way or preach a certain way. And we just saw how that really damaged, damaged people. And um, as that situation played out over a long period of time, it just became clear that the the church wasn't really going to go in a different direction and there wasn't really accountability towards that. And so we just, my husband and I felt like, man, we can't continue to stay in a, a culture that enables this kind of behavior because this just isn't what we feel we need to be about and it doesn't look like it's going to change. And so we ended up walking away from, I mean, I had been a part of that church for 15 years. Um, so, so that was just a, a really big change for us, but we really did believe in the church. We believed in this, um, in what could happen when um, different people came together and experienced the gospel and experienced transformation together. And so as we just looked out, man, just what is it like to take a next step towards this and just to do things a new way? Um, we were invited to check out what was happening around Forest City. I had connected with Steve Carter, a preaching workshop, and so that was kind of our connect. And as we visited the seventh floor, met, met people like Carrington, just saw the space, saw what was happening, we just felt really inspired about the potential of what could happen by inviting people around the table, exploring shared power, exploring giving, um, just elevating voices of women and people of color um, from, the, from the behind the scenes, doing what we say we're going to do, um, and just what could happen in a space like that. And we just felt inspired. We felt like these feel like our people, um, and this is something we want to be a part of. Yeah, that's good. So I think both of you want mentioned this idea of diversity and it being a value of Four City Church, being something that was really important to you. So say more about uh, diversity and, and what it means to you. Diversity to me is literally seeing every difference in every person and seeing the beauty of every difference and embracing it and not trying to get anyone to, hey, well, you got to kind of like be more like me, like how you were just saying, like that whole, hey, you got to be a certain type of way to be in here. It's like, no, diversity is literally saying, hey, we're a lot different, but we're both beautiful in our own way and we're both accepted by God and we're both, we're both love and we both have a seat at the table. And that's what I believe diversity is. And that's what I, it has to be because if we ain't got that, I don't know if I can stay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Bria, what about you? Yeah, I think I think diversity is really just just the baseline. It's yes, the idea of having everyone together and around the table, but but really, man, what does it look like to really make space um, and elevate voices that have maybe experienced um, life in the margins or experience from a minority perspective, um, especially coming from a majority white space or um, being a white person? What does it mean to use my influence or my my places of influence? 
influence to elevate voices of others, to make space for voices of others. And I think that's, that's the thing. It's, it's being together, which is, which is the start, but it's also um, really being aware of some of those dynamics and about what it means to um, make space for other experiences. I think it's so amazing just the worship culture that we have and, and, the, and the worship culture that Carrington and Andy bring, and we love it so much. And it, it just adds, so many people come here and say like, I love the worship, it's so amazing. I love Carrington and I love Andy, and that's so beautiful. But I think we need to take it a step further in this community and, and not just benefit off of the amazing gospel-oriented worship experience that we bring, but also then what does that mean for us to make space for Carrington and make space for Andy or make space for Leonard to, to hear their story, to, to look at things from their perspective, to hear how they teach and preach gospel stories that maybe we would see through a different lens and to make space for those experiences, not just benefit from the richness that they bring, but do the work um, so that this can community can be transformed together, um, and there's just equal voice on both sides. Because ultimately, man, I just believe that that the kingdom is about reconciliation, and the kingdom is about divided things coming together in a way that nothing else can because of the name of Jesus. And we all talk about wanting to do church in a new way. I hear that from so many of you. I feel the same way. But this moving ahead is going to be messy and hard, and it's not going to look exactly how we thought it was going to look. But I think ultimately, the revival or the new way or the, the thing that we that we hope for is going to come from the people. Yeah. It's not going to come from the places of power. It's not going to come from the stage or the platform. It's going to come from the people, the overlooked people, the women, the people of color, the people who maybe haven't had a voice in dominant Christian spaces. And this is an opportunity for us to do it together, to make space in a new way and to see the richness of the gospel in that place because that's who Jesus was. He was inviting misfits and people to his table who didn't belong there from a societal perspective. He was, um, as he as he did his life, man, he broke social boundaries. He, he broke things that that were entities that were supposed to, to stay, stay oppressive. And Jesus began the breaking of those things that we can experience reconciliation together. And that is just my heart um, for when we talk about diversity. Yeah. Amen. Listen, I don't know what else I'm going to say after that. Uh, I'm, I'm 100%. I'm just glad we're teammates. I'm glad we are on the same team here. Uh, well, listen, uh, so, so with this, as you guys have experienced this, do you have any stories or maybe even a challenge for, for us today related to diversity? What I do you think? Do, I do actually have Okay, Doc, come on. Right. Um, it was kind of funny. Um, I was thinking about it earlier today. Um, and I was thinking about a friend named Jessica. She's led worship here a couple times. Um, and when, like, she first, she lived in Chicago, and then once we moved here, it was like, oh, wait, let's link. So she would come out to the Elgin campus. And there was one thing that she told me, like, when we first got going, because I know we talk about diversity and race and gender a lot, but um, when she's, she has a son that was born with a lot of uh, health challenges or whatnot, and she was here, and she got to see Asa and Jesse, and she was like, oh, man, this is a place where I finally feel like I could bring my son. Mm -hmm. Because you you can walk in on a Sunday and like back in January, Asa was down here singing praise and worship. 100%. Like you just don't know. Like, and that was probably one of the most beautiful things that I've probably ever seen any church do. 
Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's like we're always so worried about like, hey, what does it look like? What does it sound like? And it's mm-hmm. like, no, man, we're all different and we all worship differently. Mm-hmm. And we're accepting and we're embracing all styles mm-hmm. and all types. So yeah. that was like the story to me that was just like, ah, oh, it just yeah, warmed my heart. Yeah, yeah. And seeing Asa and Jesse every Sunday just over there just like going crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like beautiful. I think more of us should be going crazy if, you know, 100%. I'm just saying. <laughs> all right. I love it. I love it. Well, we have more. Yep, yep. You guys can clap it up for that. Uh, hey, we're going to invite another friend up, uh, Diane Corazon. Could you, could you come on up, Diane? Uh, Diane. Diane, so amazing. Diane, one of the things that she does so graciously is she uh, helps with check-in for um, our kids. But, but as she comes, Diane, would you, would you just, um, just share a little bit about like, what, what drew you to Forest City Church? Sure. Um, yeah, so my name's Diane. My husband, Ray, and I uh, have been with Forest City since the beginning. And when we were looking at Forest City, we were looking for a church uh, that really put Jesus at the center, um, that didn't elevate leadership too high, because we had experienced that, but really wanted Jesus at the center. And we wanted a place that demonstrated diversity we live in Elgin, and so this is our community. And so we want to go to a church where we see our community yeah. in the church. Yeah. So um, what? What? Uh, so let me get some context to, to what Diane's going to share, uh, because over the summer we have a core team, and and our core team we challenge them to to uh, get in groups and experience fellowship together and, and to do life together and not have it necessarily be so managed by the church. And so uh, Diane was was a part of that. Um, so can you share a little bit more about what that experience was like for you? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to uh, because it was such a rich experience. Uh, first of all, when you invited us to form groups over the summer, you did not invite us to form our own groups. I did not. <laughs> you randomly assigned us to groups. And I think that was so important because if I had chosen my own group, I would have chosen the people that I felt comfortable going up and talking to. And then it wouldn't have been the rich experience. Uh, It would have been people who have experienced life very similarly to me. But the group that we formed was so beautiful because we had people from all different backgrounds. And um, I learned so much from these people, seeing life from their experiences, learning from them, and then also seeing the things that we had in common, even though we had such different backgrounds. And it was, we have, some of group one is here, and we have so much fun together. We love being together, we love each other, and we love the differences in each other. That's good. That's good. Well, I'm also group four um, in full effect in the house. Fantastic four. Big up. Uh, All right. Anyway, a little friendly competition there. Um, Listen, as we wrap this up, I just want to give you guys one opportunity. Is there anything else that that you want to say about diversity and its importance before we get out of here? Um, I've I've shared shared this earlier, and I'm going to share it again. Mm -hmm. Um, One one of the things God has really been showing me, like he, he shows me, like pictures sometimes on when I'm trying to get like what is happening in the situation. And he's really been just showing me like Forest City Church is like gumbo. Anybody like gumbo? Oh yeah, duh. Who makes gumbo? Uh-huh. You make gumbo, young man? 
Oh, you, oh, you make gumbo. I was about to say, I tried and I failed. I don't know how you, <laughs> um, but if you ever had a good gumbo, you would like see like all of the different ingredients in that pot. It's like some of the stuff they just throw in there is like, you know, some people put corn and some people have rice, some people have crab, shrimp, lobster, whatever you want to put in there, sausage. And it's like all of these different ingredients literally just sit in this pot for hours upon hours upon hours. And it's like, you can't even, you can't even like going in like, well, let me just get a little bit real quick because you might mess it up. You just mm -hmm. gotta let it just be for a bit. Mm -hmm. And he's been really just showing me like, yo, everybody that comes into this room, like as a greeter, as a, um, as a call, like if you're running coffee or if you're just doing a connect point or you're doing kids or you're doing audio, whatever you're doing, it's like, we are all of these different great ingredients that will make up for City Church. Yeah, 100%. And it's like God just has us still with the lid on top, just like, hey, y'all just need to keep on cooking. Just keep cooking, <laughs> keep cooking. Because when he says, like, when he takes that lid off and he pours that first cup, people from all over are going to be fed from what we do in this house. 100%. Yeah. And it's because of Jesus Christ. That's, That's good. That's what it is, man. That's good. So, yeah. We gumbo, baby. <laughs> we gumbo. Well, listen, thank you guys for sharing. Can you give it up for my friends one more time for sharing? Thank you, guys. So when we think about diversity, a lot of times this comes up in, in church spaces and in different spaces. A lot of times what, what people default to or they say to themselves is, is they may say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not a racist. Um, so, so really, I'm good, in this, I'm good in this department. And what they're saying is I don't necessarily look down on other people. Um, so, so this doesn't apply to me. But I think that the beautiful diversity that, that we're striving for um, is not just because we don't look down on other people. I think what Jesus has in mind is, is he wants his church to reflect his love. Like, like he, he wants people to, to come to, to spaces like this and, and other churches. And, like, and there, there doesn't even need to be a word that's spoken because, because it preaches in and of itself. The fact that all these people are together in their own differences speaks to the power of the gospel and the fact that it is what unifies us. We all have the problem of sin. And there is one hope for us in the problem of sin and the fact that it separates us from God, our Father, our Creator, whom we're supposed to be in relationship with. And the only solution to that is our hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus wants to demonstrate is that is that the unity that exists in Christ and in his gospel is weightier than anything that would divide us. There's a, the verse, I love this verse in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, love, if you have love for one another. And so I think, I think in this context, in this conversation, it's important to distinguish what, what, who the one another is. So this comes up in Scripture at different times. Another time this comes up is some people came to Jesus and they asked Jesus, hey, hey what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gets smart and says, well, who is my neighbor? 
And so it begins to go into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the way it ends is basically what Jesus was saying is, hey, you are to love the Samaritan. You are to love the one that you despise. You are the one that you are supposed to love the person where you don't have anything in common with them. Like that's the person that you're supposed to love. And whatever that Samaritan represents in your life, the person that's different from you, the person that you may despise, the person that might be your enemy, what Jesus is saying is like, hey, you are to love that person as I have loved you. And when you love in that way, then the world will see the fact that like, oh, they belong to Jesus. It won't be just about church. It won't just be about religion. They'll see like, oh, the only way they could love like that is if they belonged to him. And so Jesus is saying uh, to go love that person um, and be unified and be more connected to who you are in Christ through the gospel than you are to anything that would divide you with someone else. And so real quick, as, as, as you guys go, I just want to offer you three quick things that I would like for you to, to just meditate on and sit with as, as we equip you to go be and live this out. Because the reality is um, we can't be uh, and create spaces where, where people, where it is beautifully diverse without you, right? So three things I want to leave with you for you to take and for you to think about here in this week. Number one, um, man, would you start the journey? Would you start the journey and will you be a champion for diversity? Because here's, here's why. We need to manage our expectations. I think a lot of times we come into these spaces and, and we're looking for what we can do or how we can check the box. But the reality is what this will require is a change in lifestyle. It, it will involve you to be really intentional about how you move and how you do things. And so um, when would you would you start the journey? Would you would you say yes to this and walking out like man and, and figuring out all the ways that this means you need to walk and move differently? Would you would you just start the journey, manage your expectations and commit to saying I'm about to walk down the path? Secondly, um, something that I want to encourage you to do is to take part in experiences where you are the minority. The reality is your level of understanding of someone that's different or your, even your ability to empathize with someone that's different is really limited when you're in a space where you're always in the majority. But when you're in the minority, there's something about you being in that space and, and experiencing the fact that, oh, man, most of the people in this room is different from me. It gives you a greater opportunity to really understand where someone else is coming from and an opportunity to really look at their differences and even appreciate those differences. And that can look a, a lot of different ways. Would you sit with that and figure out, man, what, what can I strategically do? How can I create space? Where do I need to go? to where I'm in a space to where I am the minority. And then lastly, man, would you consider pursuing relationship with people that are different? Man, that may mean you have to go out your comfort zone. That may mean you have to have conversations with people. You have to think of questions to ask people in certain situations. It may mean you figuring out, man, how do I uh, uh, do acts of love for this individual? Would you pursue relationships with people that are different from you. Because oftentimes it's, it's in those relationships where, where you experience like, oh man, we actually don't have that much uh, that's different from us. We have a lot of things in common. As a matter of fact, the things we have in common are stronger than the things that, that are different about us. 
It's when you, you're in a relationship with someone where you begin to see things more from their perspective when, and you're less apt to, to judge and, and uh, man, uh, fit people into stereotypes when you're in a relationship with people. So would you do those things? Meditate on what does that look like for you in your life? And listen, I, I believe that this is something that's beneficial for us. We talk about surrendering our lives to the Lord, placing Jesus at the table, and what we believe in this and in doing this is that God is good in his way. He's good for challenging us to live life in this way. And I believe that what heaven is, is us having unfettered access to who Jesus is. And the reality is all the differences that we experience in other people, man, God created it that way. And each of them are an expression of who God is. And so by not embracing beautiful diversity, what you're saying is you're limiting um, your experience of God in your life. And you're robbing yourself of goodness and you're robbing yourself of joy. So I just encourage you to, to come along in the journey. Come along into the goodness of God. Come along in experiencing the more that, that Jesus has for you. So we're, we're, we're about to... Um, uh, have communion right now, right? And so uh, it might not be in front of you. Communion might be in a container uh, to your left or to your right. So go ahead and, and find that. Um, I'm going to go get mine. But when we take communion, it is about what Jesus has done for us. It is about his life. It is about how he suffered and what his suffering and him down on the cross did for us. It is about the forgiveness of our sins and that that's a possibility. It is about the fact that, that if Jesus hadn't made the sacrifice, we wouldn't be able to have a relationship with God, our Father. It is about those things. But what it's also about, and what we also have the opportunity, opportunity to do, is we have an opportunity to identify with his suffering. Yes, his body was broken for you and for me. And he says, you know what? If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Here's why I say that. Because, because this journey, right, what we're embarking on, creating spaces where, that are beautifully diverse, is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It will be a struggle. But you know what? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he experienced suffering and struggle as well. And we identify with him in that. And we identify with him in that. Um, but we also identify with the fact that he was resurrected and, is, and, and has all power and glory in heaven right now. When it comes to our church, it's going to be a challenge for us to, for us to say that, man, this is the thing that we want to be about. This is one of the things that we feel like is most important. It will be a challenge. As a church, it will be a struggle, but we're not discouraged by that because it gives us an opportunity to identify with our Lord. And we know that, that when we begin to create these spaces inside of our church, man, it is going to be an experience of resurrection and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing and God will be glorified. So we want to identify with what he did for us, but we also identify with the suffering and we also identify with the resurrection. So when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, they were enjoying the, the Passover meal, the Passover celebration. But Jesus gave these elements new meaning and he tied it to what he was about to do. And he broke bread 
And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. He said, take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he grabbed the cup. And he said, this wine represents my blood that was shed for you and for the remission of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. We got to stand as we get ready to go. Thank you guys for being here. If, if, if you're someone that's new and, and want to connect with us, I just want to remind you to come come check, check us out at the Connect Point. Um, but as we close, I just, I just believe that, uh, man, in, in the goodness of God and what he has called us to pursue and experience. And so as you leave this place, I just pray that, that your heart will be softened for the brokenness and the division and the fragmentation that you experience here in this world. Pray that you wouldn't turn your eye. I pray that you would see it and embrace it and lament over it and want to be an agent of change and to do something about it. I pray that as you leave this place, I pray that you would go along the journey of being a champion of diversity. That when you see differences in other people, that it wouldn't be something that would create division, that it would be something uh, that you would embrace, that you would see the beauty in, that you would ask yourself the question like, man, how might my life be better because of the new things this person could bring to my life? And then I pray that, that as you do those things, that you would be open to seeing the goodness and the beauty of God's kingdom. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for these folks, and I thank you, God, for your intentionality and the fact that, that you have an event, such a significant event as the coming of your Holy Spirit, and you tied it to the presence of all nations being there to witness it and to be a part of it. So I just pray for, for all of us that are in the room that, that are going to leave this place and go to our homes and, and go to our jobs and, and go to our families and all the places in which we dwell. I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit that you would soften our hearts to the brokenness in our world and in our communities. Lord, I pray for that you would, that you would be with us, Lord, as we, as we take on the challenge of, of championing this uh, in a world that, that this may not be their top priority. But Lord, ultimately, again, as I said before, I hope that we can experience the beauty of your kingdom and the goodness of your kingdom in our lives. Lord, I just pray for this church and that in the future, that anytime someone comes into this place, that it will be a place that is beautifully diverse, where people can see themselves represented and where there's room made for people to be seen for who they are and for that to be celebrated. So, Lord, we know, Lord, that we can't do this without you. So we just say, Lord, we need you. We need you if we're going to make this happen, God. So would you hear our cry and would you hear our prayer? Be with us, Lord, as we, as we leave this place. Um, Lord, may your face shine upon us. May you protect us and keep us and sustain us, Lord, until we come together in this place again. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. It's been a great Sunday. You guys go in peace.